Very good evening, everyone. It is lovely to see you all here um, as we open up God's Word um, tonight. Um, as the Brother Andy has said, we'll be looking at um, Exodus chapter 30. So that is Exodus chapter 30. And we've been looking at the previous chapters um, over the past couple of weeks. Um, previously, we've been looking at the consecration, um, sorry, the setting up of the priesthood um, and of the tabernacle. And now we're going to continue to look at five more items today. Perhaps just before we continue, we'll open up with a word of prayer. Our God and Heavenly Father, again, we do just thank you for this opportunity that we have to be able to open your word. We thank you for the blessing and the privilege that it is to be able to hear your word spoken unto us in this country. And we do just pray as we look towards um, your scriptures tonight, that you would just open up our ears, that you would impart to us um, your word, that we might have a desire to learn and understand it and apply it to our hearts. Again, we do just pray all this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, as I said, um, today we're going to be speaking on Exodus chapter 30. And a couple of months ago, when I was still um, studying, when I was still in term time, I, I was studying this one module called um, Mechanisms of Disease. And essentially what happened during this module is we had an overview of lots of different diseases, whether that be cancer, whether that be other things, but we had to write one specific essay on a topic in detail. So I chose to study influenza A virus. And so I could give you a really good overview of lots of different diseases, whether that, again, be cancer, whether that be other sort of viral diseases. But I could, I could tell you everything about, um, about the topic that I had, um, which was influenza A. I could tell you about the M2 ion channels, the viral ribonucleoproteins, how it occurred, the uh, internal acidification. Obviously, I don't know anything about it, actually. Um, but anyways, that's what I'm hoping to do tonight, is I've really enjoyed getting an overview of Exodus um, throughout the past couple of weeks, and I've had the great privilege of studying the five items that are mentioned in chapter 30, and I hope tonight that I'll be able to impart some of that knowledge to you by God's grace um, a little bit better than I talked about influenza A. Um, but yes. So essentially, we've got five um, key sections in this passage. We've got the altar of incense, we've got the ransom money, we've got the bronze laver, the holy anointing oil, and the incense. And essentially, where these are placed in Exodus is previously, as I'd mentioned, we had a discussion of the temple, how it was to be constructed, where things were to be placed. We had the offerings that were to be made unto the Lord, and then we had the introduction of the priests and these were all necessities that were required to begin to approach God and again it's and all these were given by God's grace it was by God's grace that manhood was even allowed to consider entering into God's presence but those those were all items that began the process of entering into his presence and now what we see is the sustainment of that practice. We see what is required to sustain um, the practice of communion with God, how that was to be maintained, how it was to be run, how the temple was to be serviced, um, how the ministry of priests was to take effect. So what I'm just hoping to 
do tonight is just introduce um, these five items just briefly, um, look at them, get a rather brief overview of them, and then after getting a solid foundation, a solid understanding of those five, I'd like to just contrast the tabernacle maintenance in the Old Testament with maintenance of our own bodies um, as the temple of the Holy Spirit. So what we have here in verse 30, in chapter 30 and 31, is we have six key sections which all began with the Lord spoke. We see in chapter 30, verse 11, it starts off with, then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, then down to verse 17, then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, verse 22, moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, verse 34, and the Lord said to Moses, chapter 31, verse 1, then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, and finally, chapter 31, verse 12, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying. And what happens here is we have six key sections where God is revealing himself to man. It is where God is revealing and specifically imparting to man the requirements for being in his presence. We have this divine revelation um, from the Lord. And the question is, after this divine revelation has been imparted, then the Lord spoke, there was a requirement. There's a human requirement after each of these sections permitting that meeting with God. And the question then was, would there be a human response? We had revelation, we had a requirement. Would there be a response? And it's similar today. We have a revelation which is from God's word, his scripture. We have a requirement, whether that be the ultimate call of salvation, or whether that be continual sanctification of our lives. And the question is, will there be a response? So as I bring God's word to you tonight again, by God's grace, I just pray that there might be a response, that you might have a desire to hear God's word, that something might strike you, that you would not just go away tonight with a list of facts, but that you would ponder in your heart, be convicted, and change what might be necessary. Respond to God. So first off, we have the altar of incense um, from verses 1 to 10, and it's quite a long chapter, so I'm not going to read all the verses for the sake of time. But essentially, what we have here is an altar that they are commanded to burn incense on. And then there is a list of instructions for how it is to be built before giving a command in verse 7 that there was to be sweet incense burnt in it every morning when Aaron tended the lamps and every evening at twilight they were also to be burnt. There was to be a perpetual incense before the Lord. And just looking at the structure of the altar that we have here, it's quite similar um, as perhaps is to be expected to many of the other structures that we see in the temple. It was made of acacia wood. Um, the surfaces were layered with pure gold. What's perhaps different is it was square rather than, rather than rectangular. And it also happened to be the smallest item um, of them all. Albeit it was the tallest um, of all the structures, perhaps with the exception of the lampstand since we're not given any measurements for that. And unlike others, um, it had two rings of gold for carrying it rather than four. I'll perhaps talk about that a little later because I found that quite interesting. But 
what happens then is we also had a specific incense that was to be burned upon it. There was a very specific formula, and we see that a lot throughout this chapter. There's very specific formulas for the incense, for the oil, for the different things that were provided. And we see this throughout scripture. God is a God of order. He's a God that is specific. There was a requirement of how things were to be done, and they were to be done exactly to the measure. Now, for this incense, we had sweet spices, we had stacte, onyacha, gabanum, pure frankincense, and equal amounts of each. We'll discuss this um, later on. There was nothing else to be burnt on it. This altar was specifically for this holy incense that was to be burnt. There was nothing else. There was no burnt offering. There was no grain offering. There was no drink offering. No strange incense was to be burnt on this at all. There was a specific requirement of what was to be burnt, and it was to be followed according to God's instructions. And what was to happen with this? The purpose of it was burning incense. Seems a bit obvious. It was the altar of incense. And this incense was to burn continually. We see in in verse 8, it says that it was to be a perpetual or a continual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. Throughout your generations. This was to be grandparents. It was to be sons. It was to be grandchildren. It was to be the grandchildren's son. It was something that was to be continually on and on and on. It was to be a perpetual incense before the Lord. And this was representative of intercessory prayer um, to the Lord, that which is most holy. It is a picture of how as our prayers go upwards, we have that incense, that sweet incense of Christ, which perfects our prayers. His work, his death on the cross, his redemption has made it possible for our prayers to ascend upwards to heaven. Our imperfect prayers are sweetened by his incense. They are enjoyed by God because they have been sweetened by his work. And so this was to be a continual a continual offering, a continual burning, um, a picture of that continual enjoyment of God, of the prayers of his saints, which were only acceptable as presented through Christ. And just as a as a small aside, um, again, I found this, this really interesting, and I'm happy to, more than happy to discuss it more later. Um, but this was the only object in the tabernacle that only had two golden rings to carry it. And obviously, the main purpose of these rings was that two long poles were to be used to carry it so that no man ever touched it because they were holy, and that which was not holy was not to touch it. But I was just doing my study, and I was looking at the differences and comparing and contrasting the different items in the temple. And I was like, okay, two rings, everything else is four rings. Easy peasy. And then I looked online for lovely illustrations of the um, altar of incense. And every single picture on the internet had four rings. And I was like, where have I gone wrong? Why do all these pictures have four rings on them when the Bible clearly seems to say two? And then text it three um, trusted people, um, some of them were elders, just to clarify, um, just to see what their views were. And I was not comforted by the fact that two out of three responded with, it makes sense that it would be four rather than two, but I'll double check. Um, thankfully, eventually, all three came back and agree with me that there are 
two rings on it. And I think this is, again, I'd be very happy to discuss this some further, but I think it's quite clear in Exodus 37, um, Exodus chapter 37, verse 27, um, where it states um, the building of it. And in addition, I think there's just consistency throughout Scripture. For the ark, it said to cast four rings and put them in the corners. For the shoebread table, it said to make four and to put them on the four corners. For the altar of the burnt offering, it said to make four rings at four corners. And here it required two. And this is perhaps just the sense that it was a smaller object in the temple. It was still a very important and essential structure, but it was just smaller and thus a bit easier to carry. I spent three hours researching that. And again, I'd love to talk to you more about that, but I don't think it's quite appropriate um, to perhaps talk about that anymore here. And again, we'll talk more about the incense and its burning later. Next up, we had the ransom money. And so what happened here is once a year, when the children of Israel were to be numbered, when there was a census among them, they were to give themselves a ransom to the Lord. And this value was to be half a shekel. Now, the value of half a shekel was about two days manual work. We read in Matthew 20, verse 2, that one day's work in the vineyard was sort of equated to one denarius. And a Roman denarius was about 3.4 grams of silver, um, with a shekel being about double of that. Thus concluding that essentially what they were to give as an offering was about two days manual labor. And this was to happen um, during the census. And the census was a overview of all the men in Israel that were fit for military service. So women and kids, so those being under 20, were ineligible. And I think it's important to note that it also mentions that every man was to give themselves a ransom. Every man. There was no exceptions um, for this. And similarly, every eligible human is accountable before God. Every human is required to pay a ransom. They have a debt towards God. Now, obviously, every man has sinned. They've turned from God. There was no exceptions. Every man must pay the price before God. And similarly here, there was no exceptions. Whether they were rich, whether they were poor, they had to pay it. There was no difference in the value that was paid either. Each person, no matter how much their net worth or how much land they owned, required to pay half a shekel. And I think this, this is a really good picture of how each life is equal before God. It meant then that the rich couldn't boast in their giving of plenty, but the poor was not an excuse. Being poor was not an excuse for not being able to pay. They still needed to meet the requirements of God. It was to be paid by all alike, and it was a reminder of being a redeemed race. Rank, class, status makes no difference to redemption. And similarly here, each was required to remember their need before God. The significance of it was that the work of the priests, as we've seen outlined over the previous chapters, was only available to those that had come to know atonement. And we're reminded of this, well, not we, but the children of Israel were reminded of this every numbering, where God had made provision for their guilt and for their need. And it was a reminder of that provision. It was a reminder of that atonement that they had before God, a reminder of that ransom that needed to be paid because of their guilt 
because of their debt before the Lord. And similarly, even today, we still have that debt that needs to be paid, but we can rejoice because we have a Savior that has paid that debt for us. And additionally, it had a twofold practical purpose. Firstly, that there may be no plague when numbered. And I think especially after COVID, we can, we can see how easy it is for a plague to spread. And you could just imagine as the generals were going out amongst the people, as they were numbering them, how people would have been mingling, how people would have been traveling to and fro. There would have been so much mingling between the people and how easy it would have been for a plague to spread. And so this was just a requirement that, again, a acknowledgement of the sovereignty of God and his protection over them, that if they did what he commanded, these specific requirements, these specific commandments, he had protection over them, a demonstration of his grace and of his protection. And secondly, it had a practical function in that this money was used for the service of the tabernacle of the meeting. And next up, we have the bronze laver, which goes from verses 17 to 21. And what happened here is we essentially had almost two dishes, um, one for the feet and one for the hands. And what was to happen is it was placed sort of um, almost between the tabernacle of the meeting and the altar. So it was a very, very central item. And what was to happen was the priests, so Aaron and his sons, as they were coming into the tabernacle of meeting to minister or to burn an offering, they were to wash uh, with water lest they die. And again, it was, a, it was a statue forever to them that we see in verse 21. It was, again, a significance of a statue to their generations. Again, it was this thing that was to be done for their grandparents. It was to be done for the fathers. It was to be done for the sons. It was to be done throughout the generations. This was a continual thing. And what we see is that it was a washing in order to make them clean. So obviously, as priests, as humans, there was still very much sin that was present. And sin was not something that could be seen in the presence of a holy God. Indeed, it was an atrocity um, to see anything that was dirty before a holy God. So there was this requirement then that before the priests were to do anything, before they were to enter into his presence, they were to wash. They were to wash their hands, they were to wash their feet um, before they came. And the bronze that was used here, it says, again, I think it was 37, um, that these, this bronze was made from the looking glasses of the woman of Israel. And I think this is, this is, that's a really appropriate um, thing. So a looking glass, obviously, you look into it, you see a reflection of yourself. And similarly here, as they were washing, they were having an inward reflection. There was an inward consideration of their state before God. Them who were so dirty, them who were undefiled, them who were not clean, entering into the presence of a holy God. There needed to be an inward examination before entering the presence of a holy God. There was a washing, an inward examination, before entering the presence of the almighty God. People had to be clean. If God was in their presence, they had to be clean. And that's still something that is similar today. And again, I'll discuss that just perhaps a little bit later. 
The fourth item that we have, so we've had the altar of incense, we've had the ransom money, we've had the bronze laver, and now we have the holy anointing oil. So we've, we've talked about um, two items, furniture that was seen. We've seen about ransom money that was taken. And now we move on to liquids. And we see a lot of, I, th- I found this really interesting, there's a lot of senses that are seen um, throughout the tabernacle. We've talked about the great adornment of the tabernacle, the, the fine gold and the furnishings, that which was beheld with the eyes. We've seen how there was bells on the priests and there was the sound that could be heard. There was touch as well um, and there was smell. And here we have that smell. We have holy anointing oil and we have the incense um, that was seen. And I just want to do three um, quick points about the holy anointing oil. Um, And I did steal this from someone else. But we're going to talk about the fusing together of the oil, the using of the oil, and the abusing of the oil. Now, we have a list of spices here. So essentially, the oil here was used to anoint the priests. It was used to anoint every bit of furniture in the tabernacle in order to consecrate it, in order to make it holy. And we've got a list of spices. Um, It says in verse 23... Also, take for yourself quality spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much sweet-smelling cinnamon, 250 shekels, 250 shekels of sweet-smelling cane, 500 shekels of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and the hin of olive oil. You shall make from these holy anointing oil, anointment compound it according to the oil of the perfumer. And I was looking a little bit at these different spices, and I was thinking, and I I just picked up on the fact that most of all, if not all of these spices, would have belonged to far countries. Some of them could have have come as far as India or Arabia. And you wonder, well, if these spices were not grown locally, well, how could they be obtained? You know, surely, surely there must have been some other way of obtaining them. Surely they didn't come from so far away. But if you think of the story of Joseph, um, when he was captured, we read that his captors were also carrying some of these spices. And they had come from a great distance away as well. And so I think it's quite reasonable to think that as the Israelites were passing through this wilderness, that there would have been traveling merchants that would also have been coming from afar, where these sweet spices could have been gotten from. Now, these would have been very expensive. I tried to buy stuff imported from Malaysia, and it costs a bomb. It must have cost even more um, back then. And equally, this must have been a really special mixture. Um, And I would dare to say it would possibly be a mixture that had never been made before. I would say that these spices had not before um, been mixed together, for this was a holy compound Um, You see in verse 32, it says, It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. So that's the the fusing together of it. And it had the purpose of consecration. Um, That word consecration comes from the original kodash, 
which means to pronounce or make clean, to be or keep holy, to purify or sanctify. And it had that function alongside the incense of a pleasant odor. And I think, as we've read through the previous chapters, we've seen many different sacrifices. And one can just imagine the stench that would be coming from some of these dead animals. Um, I've never, I've not seen a wet market here in the UK, but we have these wet markets in Malaysia, and it's essentially where you go in and you've got all this raw meat that's just hanging down, and you're like, well, I'd like a bit of that, please, and they chop it right in front of you, weigh it, and give it to you, and it, it stinks. It really does. It's this, this dead cow that is just hanging there, and it's not a pleasant smell. And I can imagine that with the sacrifices, equally there would have been a stench. And the stench we see throughout the Psalms is very much associated with death. It's associated with judgment. We see how when the River Nile turned to blood, the fish came up belly upward and there was a stench. It is a smell that was associated with judgment. And yet this is an entirely different smell. When you combine all these, in fact, I, I'm sure some of us have cinnamon. We know how much, how well that smells. And all these other ingredients, once, once they were mixed together, that would have been a sweet, a sweet, sweet anointing oil. It would have been a smell of a sanctified atmosphere, a holiness, a sweetness. It would have been placed on each of the objects in the tabernacle, and it it lists it out quite clearly in verse 26 onwards. With it you shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting and the ark of the testimony, the table and all the utensils, the lampstand and its utensils, and the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the laver and the base. Every single item was anointed, for every single item had to be sanctified. Every single item in that holy place for the Lord had to be made holy. Every single item had to be worthy for a God who is so righteous, who is so holy, in whom there is no blemish, in whom there is no spot, in whom there is utmost perfection. Everything for him had to be perfection. Everything for him had to be holy. So everything was consecrated, and so were the priests as they approached their ministry. They were also anointed, and because they had received this oil, because they had received this anointing, they were then able to serve him because it had been made holy. Whatever, because whatever touched the items, the furniture, also had to be holy, and thus the priests had to be holy. And similarly, us ourselves, there's a verse in 1 John, again, which I'll refer to later, that says that we have an anointing. We have an anointing through the Holy Spirit. We, today, have a God who has established and anointed us. And because we have been anointed, we are also in that priestly family. We have the anointment of the Holy Spirit. And as such, we who have believed upon the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ have been made holy, fit to enter into his presence. What a wonderful thing that is. And finally, this, this was such a special oil. It, it was that 
holiness that was to be consecrated. And such, as such, it was not to be poured on the body of any ordinary person. It was not to be used on any outsider. It was not to be counterfeited. This was reserved specially for this purpose. It was not to be made anywhere else. It was to be used purely for that individual purpose. And finally, just moving on to the incense itself. This incense was the incense that was burnt on the altar of incense. It was used on the golden altar um, that was earlier mentioned. And again, we have four key spices, each of them an equal weight. I think that's just perhaps a wonderful picture of the perfect balance of the sweetness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was perfect in every characteristic, no one necessarily outweighing the other, but truly perfect in every aspect. And again, this incense, which was made of sweet spices, stacte, oncha, galbanum, and pure frankincense, these were be to be made together. They were made to be in the likeness that was salted, pure, and holy. They were to be beaten very fine and then burnt continually. And this, again, was a very holy incense. It's, it's repeated um, three times. It was to be salted, pure, and holy in verse 35. In verse 36, it was, shall be most holy to you. And in verse 37, it shall be to you holy for the Lord. This was, this was a holy compound. It was, and I can imagine it would have been a wonderful smell. That people would, would have smelt it and they would have been overcome by its sweetness, by it, its, its fragrance. Um, of th this mixture of uh, spices that was put together. And this fragrance, it was, in, it was in the holy place. And any priest that had come into the tabernacle to do something for the Lord, they would have picked up some of this fragrance. Um, I don't know about you, but I have some friends and some female friends, and they're very much into their perfumes. And if you, if you go into their house, their flat, it's just really strong perfumes. And you come out of it, and it's all over you, and you can't get rid of it. You have a shower, and the perfume's still on you. But I, I would imagine it was, it was the same here, where the priests had gone into the presence of that perfume, and they would have come out. They would have been amongst the people, and that smell would have been surrounding them. There would have been an atmosphere of that incense. People would have known that these priests had entered into the presence, that they had been in the presence and near to God. We, we very much associate smells with things. For example, I walked in this morning and I could just smell the new carpet. And I was like, oh, we, we've had new carpet. Or there was times when I was younger, much younger, and my dad would come home and I would run up to him and I would give him a big hug. And I, it, it's this weird smell. I don't know where it comes from, but I could just smell if he had been operating. It was a, almost a sterile smell that surrounded him, and I would be like, Dad, you know, were you operating tonight? And he would be like, yes, how did you know? And I was like, there's a sterile smell that surrounds you. And again, it, it, it's similar here, where the priests, people would have known that they were there. It, it was a smell that would have been associated with that holy place. And similarly, we as Christians should have an aura we should have an atmosphere that people can tell we have spent 
time in the presence of our Lord. And I'll, again, talk about that a little bit later. But this, this was such a special incense. This was such a special fragrance. And there were severe consequences for its misuse. Judgment for failure to keep these specific requirements, these specific commandments, was to be exiled from their people. There would have been a loss of the privileges and the blessings of being within the sphere of the covenant. And this was such a severe manner because it was a holy matter. It, the incense itself was a mark of reverence. It was a mark of the presence of God, of his house and his priesthood. It was a symbol that required respect, utmost respect, and any counterfeiting or dishonor of it was met with severe deserved judgment. Um, similarly, this incense is the incense that was continually going before the Lord, like smoke rising upward. And I just want to make a brief comment that I think an atmosphere of any assembly is enriched by a healthy prayer life. If there is no sweet-smelling incense, if there are no prayers that are enriched by the Lord Jesus Christ that are going upwards to God, how can there be an atmosphere of his presence? If there is bitterness, if there is strife, if an assembly does not have a continual time of prayer with him, a perpetual prayer with the Lord, how can they ever succeed in knowing him personally? So that's just a brief overview of the five different um, things that we see um, in this chapter. And I would just like to briefly, we've not got much time left, but I would like to just take a moment to reflect on ourselves as bodies, our, our bodies as temples of God. Just taking readings, you don't have to turn to it in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16 says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God? And that the spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. And then moving down to 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you are bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. In this new age, in the New Testament, and in today, we ourselves, each of us who are saved from our sins and who have repented and have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Similar to how in the Old Testament there was a physical temple where God dwelled amongst his people, we today, us, our bodies, are temples of the Holy Spirit. And just like how in chapter 30 we see how there was to be a maintenance of the temple, similarly, there should be a maintenance of our bodies as the temple of God. We saw at the beginning that there was a burning of incense before the Lord day and night. Similarly, are we meditating on his word day and night? I would ask, and I, again, I would ask you to ponder, I would ask you to reflect upon these things and truly reflect in your heart. Are you meditating on his word day and night? 
Are you, pr- are you praying without ceasing as it commands in Philippians? Is your life an offering to the Lord in every aspect, in every day? Is there a sweet-smelling incense from your life going upward to the Lord at all times? The ransom payment allowed remembrance of that need before God and that need of atonement. And similarly, it is a wonderful thing to be able to come before the Lord this morning, every Sunday, to break bread, to remember that our ransom has been paid. Our debt has been paid by the Lord Jesus Christ. His body was broken. His blood was shed. His ransom, our ransom, was paid on that cross by him. So it's just, it's just a reminder of the sweetness and importance of meeting weekly as commanded in the New Testament to remember him, to remember that ransom that was paid. Our need before God has been paid. Our debt has been wiped clean and we are free before our Lord God. I'm just rushing onwards a bit because of time. But our third item was the bronze laver um, for the priests. And they washed in it because it was necessary for cleanliness and purity before God. Each time they they entered into the nearby presence of God, each time they entered into the tabernacle, there was a requirement to be clean. There, There was nothing dirty or unholy allowed before a holy God, as I've said many times. So there's a requirement to wash. And similarly today, we have forgiveness of our sins. We have been forgiven. We know that, and we are no longer held by that burden. We are no longer held by that bondage. But we do still sin. And it is loathsome to think that we could enter into the presence of a holy God, whether that be on a Sunday morning, whether that be in our own personal prayer life, when there is dirt in our lives. So it's just a reminder that we are the temple of the Holy God. There should be a continual cleansing. There should be a continual sanctification. We should be bringing our sins. We should be examining our lives. We should be looking for any dirt, any uncleanliness that is present. And I would ask you tonight, is there dirt in your lives? Is there uncleanliness that you have not repented before the Lord? For the Lord is graceful and merciful to forgive you of your sins but we while still forgiven should seek to continually seek forgiveness and repentance for the sins that we still do a continual cleansing as we approach our lord a sanctification of our lives and fourthly there was the anointing of the tabernacle furniture which rendered them holy consecrate it for the service of God. Similarly, in 1 John 2, verse 20, we have received an anointing of the Holy Spirit. We've been rendered fit for the service of God. But again, thinking continually, every aspect of our lives should be anointed. Our works, our actions, our thoughts, whether that be at our place of work, our place of study, whether that be in the church, whether that be with family, whether that be with friends, whether that be in your personal life, whether that be in your bedroom, whether that be with your 
wife or children, every aspect of our life is to be anointed. There should be nothing in God's dwelling that doesn't have the sanctification, that doesn't have the sanction of the Holy Spirit and of the Holy Scripture. Just how everything in the tabernacle was to be consecrated, to be made holy for him. Similarly, we, every aspect of our lives, should be made holy for him, should be fit for him, should be righteous for him. And the final point is, there was a holy incense that went upwards to God. It was an unmistakable fragrance that marked those that had entered the, the holy sanctuary. And similarly, as I mentioned earlier, as Christians, there should be the mark of God on us. There should be an aura. People should be able to interact with us and say, he spends time in the presence of God. We should be spending time in the presence of God. We should be pondering over his word. We should be coming before him in prayer, continually seeking his presence, continually immersing ourselves in time spent with the church, learning from wiser and older brethren, but also time spent personally in his presence, enjoying his atmosphere on us. So the question I have for you tonight is, can other people see and smell that fragrance around you? When you are at work, when you are with your family, when you are in the church, can people smell that you have spent time in the presence of God? If they can't, and if there is a stench of sin, I would strongly urge you to seek God. For he is promised that whenever we seek him, we will find. Whenever we knock, he will open the door. Whatever we ask for, he will answer unto us. And finally, just to conclude this, this chapter, there have been really detailed instructions that have been given. Detailed instructions for how the people of Israel were to approach and maintain a relationship with their righteous creator. Intricate detail for every step, for everything. Do we go to the same lengths of holiness for our own bodies? Our bodies are the temple of God. And that is not something to be trifled with. Ultimately, it is by and only by the grace of God that we can be saved. It is only by the grace of God that we can continue to grow in his goodness. But are we seeking to be a temple, a holy temple for the Lord? Let us pray. Our God and our Heavenly Father, we do just thank you that we can enter into the presence of a holy, righteous God such as yourselves. We do just thank you that you have, in your great love and mercy, have bestowed upon us the opportunity that through the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, upon that cross, our burdens have been paid for at Calvary. We are no longer walking along the, the paths of unrighteousness, but we've been made clean. We've been made holy. We've been anointed by the Holy Spirit, fit and able to enter into your presence. We thank you that we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within us that is able to sanctify us as we continue to grow to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We do just pray, Lord, that we would examine our hearts, that we would examine our lives. If there is any sin, if there is any dirt, if there is any unholiness, that you would reveal it to us, Lord, that we might not have it as a hindrance um, for time spent with you. We pray, Lord, that as we go out into the world, whether that be our workplace, whether that be our studies, that people would be able to recognize that we are Christians, that we are a light of the world, that we are a salt, um, and that there is meaning to our lives because of the Lord Jesus Christ. May others be able to recognize that in us. May we have a sweet-smelling incense from the presence of you. So again, we do just pray all this, thanking you once again for the opportunity to open your word and to examine your scriptures tonight. And we just pray all this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our mediator who died for us. Amen.